0: Let's change up the way you watch baseball. Introducing Change Up, a brand new live whip around show across the league. Brought to you by MLB and DAZN. Jump in and out of the best plays as they happen and get expert analysis from hosts who bring a fresh personality and a new perspective to the game. It's on every night and available on nearly any device, smart TVs, tablets, mobile, and gaming consoles. Getting set up with DAZN is easy. Just download the DAZN app in the Apple or Android App Store, sign up by creating an account, and then start watching across any of your devices. That's D-A-Z-N. Navy Federal is proud to serve more than 8 million members and is open to active duty military, the DoD, veterans, and their family members. Receive a lifetime of membership benefits like a credit card APR average that is 4% lower than the industry's member-only exclusive rates and more. Visit NavyFederal.org for more information. Call 1-888-842-6328 or download the Navy Federal Credit Union app today. Message data rates may apply. Visit NavyFederal.org for more information. Hello and welcome to The Ringer MLB Show. My name is Michael Bauman, and I'm a staff writer at The Ringer. Uh, We've had a jam-packed week of baseball news and action, uh, so much so that it occurs to me that Dallas Keuchel signing with the Braves didn't actually make it into the show this week, Uh, but if you're looking for analysis of that, I covered the uh, signing uh, on theringer.com in written form, uh, so you can go find our coverage of that and other baseball topics there. Uh, Before we start the show itself, I did want to say right off the bat um, to send our best wishes to David Ortiz and his family. Uh, The former Red Sox DH was shot in the Dominican Republic over the weekend. He's currently recuperating uh, in Boston after uh, multiple surgeries, so... I'll be talking about that in a little more detail with Emma Bachelary of Sports Illustrated in just a bit, uh, but I did want to uh, extend our, our best wishes to David Ortiz and his family up front before we get started. Um, but for now, let's head on to Zach Cram and the Ringer MLB show. So my first guest is, as always, Zach Cram, but this week he is Trivia Champion Zach Cram. Zach! Why if it isn't Trivia Champion
1: Michael Bauman? Hello! Yes!
0: So for those of you who uh, haven't seen us bragging about this on Twitter, I play bar trivia with uh, my wife and another couple here in Kalamazoo, and we qualified for the state semifinals for Sporkle Live Trivia. Uh, and all three of my teammates were out of town. So I called to Zach, who lives a couple hours away in my moment of need, he uh Was gracious enough to drive in from Illinois. We went to the trivia semifinals and we finished first out of what, 22 teams? Yeah. So we are now on our way to the state, the Michigan State Championships in uh, or outside of Detroit next week. So we will keep you uh, updated on our progress, uh, particularly if we we win. Um, So we almost missed a baseball question. So let's let's uh, kick that off.
1: So are we you want we want to give the question to the listeners? Yeah, let's give the question to the listeners. The question was Nolan Ryan played 27 seasons for four different teams. And if you rank those teams by how many seasons he spent with each one, name one of the top two. Which so we'll give you all a moment to think about that. And this it's seems like radio. an easy
0: question, which I guess on some level it is, but I mean, this was our thought thought process. Uh Nolan Ryan obviously didn't play that long with the Mets, so we eliminated the Mets right off the bat. And then after that, uh, he played roughly equal periods of time with the Astros, Angels, and Rangers. And so we ran into trouble as we couldn't remember exactly which year he joined and left the Astros because uh, we weren't alive then. So uh, we thought about it and ended up guessing the Angels. It was the Angels and the Astros was the— the final question so
1: and truly more relief than anything else because if we had gone all that way and then missed the baseball question we might have had to retire from this podcast
0: yeah we got a movie question right for with uh on the final question which was for all the toastitos. and uh, we were very relieved that we could uh ever look sean Fennessy in the eye again because uh if we had missed that with in a clutch situation i don't think there was any coming back from that so yeah, I, I really enjoyed watching you get into it. Uh, Zach is is as uh, mild-mannered a personality in real life as he seems on the podcast, and uh, you really got the, you know, you got the blood pumping. You were sweating a little bit.
1: There might have been, uh, on one occasion, we had gotten, I think, the first eight questions correct, and then Michael, who was wearing a hat, turned the hat backwards, I think, because it was really hot in the bar. And then we missed the next two questions. And during the intermission, I said, you better, better turn, turn hat your hat around. around. Don't and think I that? didn't
0: notice you turned your hat around. It worked. Yeah, it did. We've now bragged for, I think, like three or four minutes. And I think that's uh, far too self-indulgent. So we're going to uh, skip ahead to to baseball talk, which you seem very amused by the all-star voting. So let's start there. What is so funny about the the all-star vote totals? So I think there are a couple
1: ways that people view all-star votes, right? You can have the view that this is really about just showcasing the game's stars. Performance matters somewhat, but we want to get the best players in the game, even if they're not having the best first halves. Then there are the people who kind of balance it 50-50. We want a mix of people performing in the first half, but ideally they'd also be stars. And then there's the complete other end of the spectrum, which is Reputation doesn't matter. Past performance doesn't matter. We just want the people who have put up the best first halves. And that has produced some really strange results, Uh, particularly in the American League. The first round of vote totals were released this week. American League yesterday, National League today. And the National League is pretty normal. They have uh, at leading their various positions, Javier Baez at shortstop, Cody Bellinger, Christian Yelich, and Ronald Acuna in the outfield, Nolan Arenado at third base. Those are the stars you'd expect. But then you go over to the American league and you have Tommy La as the leading vote getter at second base at third base. You have Giovanni Urshela at second place and Hunter Dozier at third uh, in the designated hitter spot. We have Hunter Pence in second place at shortstop. Jorge Polanco is in the lead and it just delights me so much that baseball in 2019 is making stars literal all-stars out of these players and who knows what will happen over the coming weeks there's also a tweak to the all-star voting procedure this year where this is just a like a primary vote and then the top three vote getters will all compete in a general election of sorts so none of these players might end up making the all-star team but the fact that this was the first release i think says a lot about what baseball looks like in 2019.
0: I twitched when you said primary and general election. Uh, you forgot to mention James McCann is in second place at catcher, which is uh, perhaps the most astonishing thing at, uh, of all. So you are, you said you are uh, entirely in the camp of just reward the guys who had the best first half and let the chips fall where they may.
1: Yeah. And I understand that that may not be the sentiment that Major League Baseball as an institution wants because they probably view that weekend, that game as a way to reach out to fans. And it's a lot easier to reach out to fans when Jose Altuve is on the team than when Tommy Lastel is on the team. But guess what? Jose Altuve has been hurt. He wasn't hitting all that well before he got hurt. And Tommy Lastel has had a great first half. And I think it's nice to reward players for actually performing. There are other from a historical perspective, awards that players can accrue for the entire season, like silver sluggers and gold gloves and MVP votes. I think the All-Star game, in in my view, should be about rewarding players who have been best over the first few months. Maybe if two players are really close, you use previous seasons as a tiebreaker. But like the classic example uh this decade that people use is Brian LaHare, who made the All-Star game for the Cubs in twenty twelve and never played again after twenty twelve. And it's funny to look back on that, but guess what? Brian LaHare in the first half had 14 home runs. He had almost a 900 OPS. And Brian LaHare is going to remember that for the rest of his life. Brian LaHare's family is going to remember that. I think it's really cool. And sure, it's fun to look back on like the 1960s National League rosters that had a half dozen Hall of Famers in the starting lineup with an outfield of Mays and Clemente and Aaron But it's also cool, in my opinion, to look on the baseball reference pages of these guys who only made it once in very short careers and then do deep dives and think, wait, so what happened to them? Were they just really hot? Was there some sort of fluke? And that appeals to me. I understand my opinion is not representative of the entire baseball fandom, but I think that's why these initial results delighted me so much is that's kind of what we're going to see. Giovanni Orcella is never probably going to have another chance to make an all-star team
0: so i come down i just i think all-star rosters are so big that there's room for a little bit of everything you know i i do like the the guy who makes you know 14 all-star games in a row or something like that the primary purpose of the game for me is to give casual fans a chance to see uh, this is going to sound reductive but all of the stars and uh you know see them in one place so if you're you know uh, an east coast national league fan and you don't have mlb.tv maybe this is the one time you you get to see mike trout and i think that there's a a secondary star making role to to these all-star teams like i remember the year that uh, jose Bautista had his um had his breakout and he made the all-star team that year and we all still or at least i wasn't at the time still really sure who he was or whether that was sustainable and he turned into a, a hugely important uh, figure in baseball in the early 2010s. So, like, I like to see the first All Star appearance for like a guy like Matt Chapman, for instance. Um, you know, somebody who needs that bump to get up onto the uh, to get up onto the uh, biggest stage in in baseball and become like a, a nationwide star. And I also like, you know, I like the Brian LaHair's or the 2013 Dom Brown or or Evan Meek. That one year he made the the All Star team. I do like occasionally being puzzled looking back at how did this guy make the All Star team. You know, I, I think just the rosters are so big, we're going to get some of, of each of those categories.
1: See, that's funny. I can't really think of a player who I remember being like, oh, that guy made the all-star team and he matters now. Like, is one extra at-bat from one of those players going to make a difference in their national perception? I think the other all-star festivities do a much better job with that. I remember... The home run derby being Josh Hamilton's coming out party Mm -hmm. and even to some extent, John Carlos Stanton's coming out party on a national stage. So I think the way that MLB has reinvigorated the home run derby, both with the format change, with the bracket. Now they've increased the prize money. And I know it's like
0: so good now. It's like like, I after being nearly unwatchable and they just changed the format and like that, it, it turned out to be the best part of all star the all star week.
1: And Luke Voigt, for instance, I've seen is already talking about that. He is also leading the uh, AL first base vote right now. But what has a better chance of making Luke Voigt a better known figure, just getting an at-bat or two in the All-Star game or putting on a show at the Home Run Derby? So I think as they've seen success with the Home Run Derby, trying to come up with new ways you know we can talk about all the sorts of events we'd want to see at the All-Star weekend that Would probably be more fun than the All Star game, but I'm also weird in that I watch every inning of the All Star game every year because it's just fun to me to see all these great players compete. And the fact that you know one of them might not be as famous as Jose Altuve doesn't matter as much to me. But I understand. Well, I think it's cool
0: to to have like the one the guy who's making his one All Star team in among the the Jose Altuves or. Um, or Albert Pujols back, you know, back a decade ago, or Mike Trout now. Like it's it's cool. Like they are there is a leveling of the superstars and the guys who sort of know this is their fifteen minutes of fame. And to that note, I don't know how
1: much this matters, but every year when people are putting together their all star rosters, there'll be some complaints about the one player per team rule. Like, oh, there are so many good American League players. Do I really need to? find a place to fit in a, a an Oriole, for instance. And I think that's kind of important just because if you're a young kid who's an Orioles mm-hmm. fan, it's that incredibly might be, important. Yeah, that's your entryway into the game to watching all the other stars. I don't know if there are numbers that can say, oh, that directly translate to X more fans down the line. But I think, like you said, the rosters are so big that like, yeah, if you're going to have 30 something players on a team, you can find room for One Oriole instead of another fringe candidate.
0: Yeah. So what I wanted, what I was going to say about that is, and I want to go back to the your point about uh, the All Star Game as a a star making, uh, a star making uh, enterprise or institution. Um, I just remember, you know, being a being a little kid rooting for some dog shit Phillies teams in the '90s, and the one guy to make the All Star team uh every year was just hugely important and it was cool to see you know one year it was literally Ricky Batalha was the only Phillies uh all-star um but like he was on the team with Barry Bonds and Tony Gwynn and uh you know playing against Ken Griffey Jr. and these are the it was cool to see as a fan of a bad team to see one of my guys the, the people who get covered nationally. So I, you know, I, to a certain extent, I think the all-star game is for kids and we should, we should treat it that way. But, uh, you know, just from my own experience, that's hugely important. I wouldn't change the, the one player per team role. What I was going to say about the, um, the all-star team is a star making, uh, vehicle is this might be something that if I'm thinking back to my own childhood, maybe I'm just so old that it doesn't, that my childhood doesn't really reflect the, Experience of the, you know, 9, 10, 11 year old baseball fan uh, in 2019, because just in the time between when I was a kid and when you were a kid, baseball, national baseball on cable had taken off. Um, there was more coverage on the Internet. Um Shit, I'm old enough. I remember when there wasn't interleague play, and if and like this was literally the only time I could see uh, the West Coast American League teams, or you know, see like Albert Bell, for instance, uh, between you know during the regular season until the the postseason. So I, th- yeah, I think uh, maybe there's just so much video, and so you know, it's so easy to watch baseball. On the internet and get a variety of uh, get a look at a at a variety of teams. Even if you're not like a super hardcore fan, maybe that uh, that aspect of the All Star Game isn't as important now as it was maybe in the late nineties.
1: Yeah, the, the All Star Game, not just in baseball but across all sports, is a, a relic basically of the time before national media and well not before national media but before like mlb.tv and twitter and easily finding easy to find highlights and it has to do a lot of different things it's supposed to appeal to young fans it's supposed to work as a sort of historical marker people look at all-star appearances when they're doing hall of fame voting it's supposed to reward people it's supposed to do so many different things that it's hard to appease all of those demands at the same time and i fully acknowledge that my view year doesn't do that
0: yeah it's a huge business sponsor moment too like it's a place where you know you'd see it was chevy's the um the sponsor that gives a car away at the end of the game we've got somebody sponsors the home run derby balls every year like there's it's a big business opportunity too and because there's no basketball no hockey no football you know if there's in a year like um like 2019, where there's no Men's World Cup, like this might be the big, you know, the the eyes of the entire sports world are on baseball, and this is its showcase.
1: The other thing about the All-Star game is I have a lot of singular memories of various moments from when I was growing up, like Cal Ripken moving uh, to shortstop mm. and Tori Hunter robbing Barry Bonds' home run. But those are not really moments you can manufacture they arise more organically, I guess. The Ripkin. Oh, I would say was, the Ripkin
0: thing was was literally manufactured.
1: Yes, but it, you don't have that opportunity every year, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yeah. And I'm sure there are people whose job it is to try to manufacture those moments, and that's what the voting change is supposed to do this year. It's supposed to create a single day where everyone's thinking about the baseball all star teams and going out and voting in the general election. I'm not sure if that's going to do much for it. But I guess it's good that they're at least experimenting. I know the NBA and NHL have also done a lot of experimenting and tweaking with the format. And it's just hard to find something that works. That's why the Home Run Derby is so magical to me, because that legitimately just works every year now since the format change. Even the slam dunk contest doesn't work every year. So I'm hoping for more things like that as they continue to tweak.
0: All right. Well, we'll... uh if If you still find the voting hilarious when the general election uh rolls around, we'll talk about this again, but until I'm then, campaign hard for Tommy Liella, man. I'd have no idea what to make of tommy Tommy Liella. I don't know if that's okay to admit on the podcast that I'm just like completely flummoxed by um a guy having a career year. but yeah, this we live in weird times, man. I think you're talking to Ben
1: about this later, but the real all star for half of these guys is just the juice ball mm-hmm. so.
0: Yeah, well, we'll talk about the the juice ball later in the show. Um, All right. Thanks for coming on. I'll see you on Saturday. Get, you know, get pumped up.
1: Make sure you wear your hat right.
0: Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos all commission-free. While other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, Robinhood doesn't charge any commission fees, so you can trade stocks and keep all your profits. Plus, there's no account minimum deposit needed to get started, so you can start investing at any level. The simple, intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike. View easy-to- understand charts and market data and place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. You can also view stock collections, such as the 100-most popular. With Robinhood, you can learn how to invest in the market as you build your portfolio, discover new stocks, track your favorite companies, and get custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood is giving listeners of The Ringer MLB Show a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. Sign up at ringermlb.robinhood.com. When you're looking for new furniture, there's a lot to consider, like how you're gonna get it in the door or how comfortable it'll be when the game goes into extra innings. Burrow is changing all that, with simple, adaptable, easy-to-move furniture that can be assembled and disassembled in just a few minutes. Plus, it ships to your door fast and free. That shipping is huge because it just comes in a couple boxes. Uh, you open the boxes, you put it together. Uh, we had our sofa together in 10 or 15 minutes with a minimum of tools. This is not uh, the multi-hour assembly process that uh, you'll sometimes get when furniture ships to you. Uh, Burroughs clever design features naturally scratch- and stain-resistant fabric plus sturdy hardwood frames and soft foam cushions. There's even a built-in USB charger. Burr is totally customizable, so you can pick one of five fabric colors, three leg finishes, two armrest styles, any length, and you can even add a chaise lounge or ottoman. Plus, they just launched the Nomad Leather Collection, featuring their same convenient design with the option of top grain Italian leather upholstery. Give your living room the upgrade it deserves with Burrow, the official sofa of the ringer. Get $75 off a new sofa and free one-week shipping by visiting Burrow.com slash M O B. That's B-U-R-R-O-W dot com slash M O B for $75 off a new sofa. It's my pleasure to welcome to the show for the first time Sports Illustrated staff writer Emma Bachelaria. Emma, how you doing?
2: I'm good. How are you?
0: I am Well, a little bummed because we're going to talk a little bit about David Ortiz and then move on to uh, the fun stuff. Uh, David Ortiz, I mean, this is probably the biggest story in baseball right now. He was shot in the back in Santo Domingo in the Dominican Republic on Sunday night, Uh, has undergone two surgeries, one in the DR, one in Boston, uh, where he is in stable condition, but in the ICU. Uh, This is been shocking news to to the baseball world and uh it's been uh on one level heartwarming to see the level of of uh outpouring of support uh and just genuine uh love for David Ortiz it seems to uh you know he, he must be one of the most popular players in uh recent history of major league baseball.
2: Yeah, I mean I think obviously incredibly tragic, although like you said, heartening to see that he is stable. is. Seems to be heading, from all reports, uh, in a better direction than it could have been, which is good. But yeah, I think it really does just underscore how huge of a cultural figure he is beyond just a baseball figure, and that you know how universally beloved he is. Just the number of stories coming out about people's personal connections with him and how great he is as a person, as a teammate, so much beyond just the memories of you know what people have from him on the field, and so. Yeah, it's obviously been a watch for the last couple of days here, um, and uh, with a a lot of uh, really heartwarming stories that you know are pretty emotional given the context.
0: Yeah, and at the, at the same time, you know, it's tough to see. For instance, Pedro Martinez was you know broke down in tears on the MLB Network set uh, last night talking about this. It's at this point in time, like it looks like he's. Uh, gonna make a full recovery but you know we're still I, everybody's still sort of shocked and and you know i'm on some level like we need to talk about this but i'm i'm not really sure what there is to say until you know until he recovers
2: yeah i think kind of just it feels like a little bit of a weird holding pattern when there's not anything uh, definitive to really say and no one knows exactly what's going to happen but um yeah obviously i think this past couple of days for certainly his family and for everyone in baseball, just to to watch this and to process that emotion. So yeah,
0: yeah. So uh, anyway, there's still news coming out. Um, Marley Rivera from ESPN is one of the people who's uh, on the uh, on the forefront of that beat. Uh, she's a, a great source for um, for news as this co- goes forward. I imagine there will be more information coming out in the in the days to come. So yeah, I said it at the the top of the show in the intro, but we all wish. Uh, Nothing but the best for for David Ortiz and hope he recovers soon. Um, So this makes for a little bit of of an awkward transition, but uh, there is, uh, you know, there is lighter stuff to talk about, um, namely fighting. And uh, you wrote about the kerfuffle in the Pirates and Braves game uh, on Monday night. Uh, My mother-in-law, who's a huge Braves fan, was texting me about this. This was apparently a a huge, uh, you know, an event. So, you know, take me through what happened.
2: Yeah, well, in a lot of ways, this looks like a very typical baseball fight up until it wasn't, um, in that it didn't really have that much fighting to it. it. You know, in the first inning of Monday night's game, Joe Musgrove just barely clipped Josh Donaldson with a pitch, um, his jersey brushed up against his jersey, so it took a pitch, but it's not in a way that seemed intended to harm Um, and not in a way that seemed to cause any material harm, certainly. And as Donaldson went off to first base, was uh, looking at Musgrove, and the two of them started jawing at each other a little, had a classic, what are you looking at moment. Um, And yeah, then they got in each other's faces. There was some shoving. Um, There was, you know, light jostling. Um, Teammates restraining each other. The dugouts emptied. Um, and that was about it with, you know, not a whole ton of serious physical contact and just kind of emotions running high. Um, but then he, um, decided to eject Donaldson who had gotten a, a clean shove in that didn't seem entirely surprising. Um, but also, uh, Musgrove who as the starting pitcher in the first inning, obviously ejecting him had a lot to, um, shaped the course of the game, um, and that obviously got Pirates fans and manager Clint Hurdle, who was ejected himself, pretty rattled there. And um, yeah, in a lot of it ways, it's a very classic upset about looking at each other uh, baseball fights that didn't have much fighting involved. So.
0: Yeah, my, my favorite part of the just the clip that was going around is Muskerve. And I, I say this, you know, I got along with him fine when he was in Houston. He seems like a very nice guy. I thought it was very funny that he um, essentially dropped the gloves only after he was already being held back, which just feels yeah. very baseball fighty. that like there's a lot of protestations about like, well, I'd fight you if I don't remember. Uh, was there a. A Bryce Harper fight recently where there are actual punches thrown like I struggle like I know uh, there was the Carlos Quinn Zach Granke thing a few years ago but I'm sure there have been uh, more and better fights since but like there's a lot of shouting what are you looking at move along and then just everybody comes together and and stands in a huddle
2: for a while right and I mean I feel best example of that is the fact that the bullpens have to run out during a fight, knowing full well that it will be totally over usually by the time they get there, that like they have no real role to play in this fight, and yet they still usually have to go through the motions of showing up um, and making that long jog out, even though everyone knows it's probably going to be totally fruitless. They're not going to have anything to do, but the, the unwritten rules of brawling require showing up even if you know you're not going
0: to do anything. So one of the things that you pointed out in your piece is how quick the uh, the hook was f- from the umpires for Donaldson, uh, Musgrove, and, and Clint Hurdle. There was another uh, outburst of emotion where the umpires got involved uh, in, on the college level. So on Sunday night, uh, Elijah McNamee hit a home run that uh, for Mississippi State that essentially put the game out of reach, meant they were going to go to the College World Series. And McNamee's an undrafted senior who's had a bunch of big moments for Mississippi State. And uh it was one of the best home run pimpings uh that I can remember. It, like, not just the bat flip, but, like, jumping around and, and shouting. And the umpires were, like, getting in his face to move along, which just doesn't strike me as, like, that's emotion policing from the umpires who have their own myriad issues at the college level. But we saw, uh, you know, that seems sort of like what happened in the the Pirates game on Monday, too.
2: Right, and that one really bummed me out because, I mean, obviously, it's college. This is a huge game. Like, it makes sense to give them the space to have a little fun. But also, like you said, it's the umpire emotion policing. Like, this wasn't a case where, you know, the other team is placing and then it gets physical. And then obviously the umpire has a role to play. Like, this was just the kid super excited about that home run reasonably. So, and not like involving anyone else in that excitement. And so to see him yelling, yelling at the kid, that was, that one was one that really felt to me, like overstepping. But, you know, if you can't uh, give him space to, to let him play as MLB's marketing would like everyone to do, like, when
0: can you, if not then? Yeah, it's, baseball is just, I think this might be why I like it so much, just as an emotionally repressed person myself, but it is, like, <laughs> very, it is very, you know, uh, uh, John Lithgow and footloose, and it's, when the emotions do bubble over, like, you get something like the the McNamee home run, um, or something like, you know, Madison Bumgarner getting upset at Max Muncie. we'll talk about that specifically in a minute, but, it just seems like everything is bottled up. And and when, when you don't get these moments for players to to let off steam, like it, it really, and it doesn't have to like explode into violence, but you see something like the Jose Batista uh, bat flip, for instance, um, just these incredible outpourings of, of pent-up emotion, which is, you know, it's not unlike the action of baseball where there's a lot of inaction and then uh, split-second athletic movements make all the difference.
2: Right. Like, almost all of the truly iconic moments we have have some level of that emotion baked into them. Like, it, it to try to strip that out entirely is to rip the game, I think, of some of its best pockets of, of entertainment, really, and, like, what makes it fun to watch along with just being, let's marvel at these athletic feats. And, um, yeah, it does kind of help um, me to see these really special ones policed and taken out and, um,
0: yeah, we've had some good ones here lately. So, yeah, well, I think the the most good one was, uh, everybody's talking about this as the quote of the season. Mac M- Max Muncy homers off of Madison Bumgarner on Sunday, puts it in McCovey Cove, watches it a little bit. Like, it doesn't, this was not, you know, Carlton Fisk or anything. Right. Um, and, but Bumgarner, Madison Bumgarner, who is a frequent topic of conversation on this show, uh, told them to move along, and they jawed, uh, back and forth as Muncy made a very slow trip around the bases, and after the game, uh, Max Muncy said, "If he's so upset, he can go get the ball out of the ocean," uh, which is the uh, it's a pretty good line. I, it's it's already on t-shirts. It, it's getting held up as the quote of the year. I, I'm reserving judgment on that, but uh, as comebacks go, that's pretty good.
2: Yeah, I mean that definitely. I think is setting a pretty high bar for all future. Burns to come this year, um, as the best of the season, but I almost just as much appreciated what Bumfrenner said after the game, which weirdly vulnerable for him, um, where he was kind of grappling with the idea of we should let the kids play, but, but what about me? Um, and yeah, the way that quote was recorded by reporters was, I can't even say it with a straight face, but the more I think about it, I should just let the kids play, but I just, I can't. Um, which feels like it would just be perfect in, you know, some hour-long melodrama with the central and professed leading man grappling with his feelings about, you know, what to do with the youth coming. And um, it's so great. It's just a sad, weirdly vulnerable line. Um, And I really love that one, which is just, it's so silly. It's perfect. I
0: don't think it's silly at all. I think there's three levels on which... You can interpret this. One is what you said, the the candor and the vulnerability of Bumgarner. Two is like it, an uncharitable reading of it is essentially, you know, it's the, the classic uh, um, how does liberal society treat illiberal um, minority populations? You know, uh, Madison Bumgarner saying essentially so much for the tolerant left. Uh, which I think it is would be an uncharitable way to, to put it. But this is his outpouring of emotion, the the anger he expressed it at Max Muncie. And I think that's I think he's got a point that uh, that if Muncy's allowed to it, it it almost it it almost feels um uh inaccurate to even describe that as pimping a home run. But like if if hitters are allowed to to take their time running around the bases after home runs are or flip their bats or, you know, make those silly hand gesture celebrations whenever they hit a double. Like, a pitcher's allowed to express frustration. I think it's, it's, um, it would be unfair of us to expect people to be shown, you know, they we, the the discourse around getting shown up in baseball, I think is, is a little retrograde, but, you know, it's essentially like getting dunked on. And if you're not allowed to express displeasure at that, then I think, you know, we've got something uh, wrong in the way that we talk about sports. So, you know, Baumgartner's obviously allowed to do this to to shout at whoever he likes as long as he doesn't you know start a fight or throw at a batter. Um, I think that, but I think he's aware of the social cost that 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 impulse um, is exacting on him. That you know people think he's a dick because this is sort of a dick thing to do, but I think it's entirely valid to. It's a valid reaction to allowing a home run and then and then getting your nose rubbed in it. Right,
2: and I think you know. Baseball has obviously had a long-standing problem with that frustration only manifesting as retaliation and throwing at the guy the next time he's up or throwing at a teammate, and so because of that, it seems like there's you know been this strong movement to tamp down that frustration. But it makes sense that like if you should give them just as much space to to express that frustration within reason, you know, just as an emotion and not as a physical answer. Um. Because, yeah, you are going to feel that frustration, and I think that probably makes for a better, richer experience all around if that emotion is being encouraged on both sides. Um, but, yeah, it's funny, I think, kind of to put it in that political framework because it makes sense, given what we know about Baumgartner and like, the way that he's reacted before, that it comes off as kind of mopey, grousing, and inability to kind of square how he feels with what he knows the rage responses. Um, but it is a valid point, I think.
0: So, yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I You know, it's, it just comes back to the repressed emotions. It, it, it's As weird as that is to to say about somebody who's in the news for shouting at somebody at work, um, <laughs> you know, like it, it, you just do need some, you know, you need an outlet for that frustration. I think that's, you know, and Muncie certainly didn't seem threatened by you know, the the way that that you go about doing that uh obviously makes all the difference, but Muncie didn't seem uh threatened by it, and if anything, it just made you know made for a more heightened entertainment product, which is a consumer of baseball as an entertainment uh, venture i'm I'm all in favor of, so that you know i i think in in this case uh I've certainly taken objection to the way Madison Bumgarner has reacted to. Uh, oppo- opposing players' successes in the past, uh, but I right. don't really see anything wrong with what he did. I mean, certainly if if he's aware of how that comes off and he's you know willing to to live with that, then more power to him.
2: Yeah, and I think really, I guess I described it as vulnerability before, but I think it's more self awareness almost um, in that quote. Actually, and I guess that's kind of refreshing. So.
0: All right. Well, I think this conversation has been very refreshing, and uh, I thank you for taking the time to to come and talk to me.
2: Of course, anytime.
0: Finding a new job is a lot of work. What if you had your own personal recruiter to help you find a better job? Now ZipRecruiter's technology can do that for you. Just download the ZipRecruiter job search app, let it know what kind of jobs you're interested in, and its technology starts doing the work. The ZipRecruiter app finds jobs you'll like and puts your profile in front of employers who may be looking for someone like you. If an employer likes your profile, ZipRecruiter lets you know. So if you're interested in the job, you can apply. No wonder ZipRecruiter is the number one rated job search app. My listeners should download the free ZipRecruiter job search app today and let the power of technology work for you. Don't wait. The sooner you download the free ZipRecruiter job search app, the sooner it can help you find a better job. All right. I'm joined by best-selling author, Ben Lindberg. Ben. <laughs> Hello, Michael. Uh, we're going to talk about college baseball. Okay. If you say so. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I'm going to talk about college baseball uh, because this is this is my favorite thing that happened this weekend. Uh, Kumar Rocker, you know, is he on your radar at all?
3: He hadn't been until this past weekend, but he put himself on there then. Uh, Kumar Rocker is a gigantic
0: teenager who uh, this is so. Like, the best high school baseball players never make it to to big college campuses. They either right. get drafted and they sign, or they go to JUCO, or I guess now they go to Japan sometimes, because we talked about Carter Stewart a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. But every so often, something weird will happen around the draft, and one of these guys will go to a major college and just absolutely fucking dominate. Yeah. And this is what happened with Alex. Alex Bregman's the, the best example of this I can think of. So um, what's
3: Rucker's story?
0: Uh, he was— there was a time last year where when he was a high school senior, it was early in the draft process. I would have been okay with the Phillies taking him with the number three overall pick. And then he just didn't come to agreement with the team. His stock slipped a little bit. He ended up dropping, I think all the way to the 31st round, mm-hmm. um, at which point he obviously went to campus and uh, yeah. went to Vanderbilt as top pitching prospects tend to do. Uh, he took the mound. His, his stock
3: is back up. <laughs> oh, you think? <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, he took them out on Saturday uh, with Vanderbilt down one nothing in the Super Regional to Duke, and if they had lost that game, uh, they were going home. So what Rocker did was strike out 19 batters and throw a no-hitter, and uh, this was the, the first no-hitter in NCAA tournament play since 2012 when Jonathan Crawford of Florida uh, no-hit Bethune Cookman, and that was day one of the regional against a four-seed uh, Jonathan Crawford, I don't know if he's even familiar to you. He was a, a first round pick and bounced around in the the minor leagues with the the Tigers and the the Reds. I don't remember if he got included in like the Anthony Desclafani trade, maybe, um, <laughs> and ended up in Miami. Well, like this is the the level of prospect he he became, mm-hmm. and that like that was an interesting story. That was not a big deal, um, but this was the the first. Uh, no-hitter ever in super regional play as far as I know. Um, And Rocker looked just dominant.
3: Yes, he uh, did. It was a really aesthetically pleasing performance. It was all over Twitter. There were GIFs. Pitching Ninja was was all over it. And big knife the, for
0: Pitching Ninja. Yeah.
3: yeah. Those were some really pretty pitches and really impressive. Like it, you could. It's hard to judge amateur pitchers because they're facing lower-level competition at times, and so it's hard to see how their skills would transfer, particularly with hitters, but with pitchers, they're just throwing pitches, and you can throw pitches anywhere against mm-hmm. anyone, and it sure looked like he he could just uh, yeah, walk off of that mountain. Yeah, that walk looks onto like a, a metro quality changeup. That's for <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, um,
0: yeah. The the later innings when he's just spamming the changeup to uh, in like the eighth and ninth innings was just incredible. So the I mean this was obviously a gigantic moment for college baseball, a gigantic moment for Vanderbilt for Kumar Rocker. Um, and I am slightly ambivalent, and I do want to talk about this because I feel like it didn't get discussed that much. That he threw 131 pitches hmm. Which is.
3: Yeah. I, I mean, that's been a concern, of course, for college and high school pitchers. And forever. usually
0: Vanderbilt's good about that. But mm-hmm. I mean, this is not like, I don't know, like Thomas Eshelman through, I think, like through like 149 in a super regional his junior year.
3: Uh, Yeah. And and I do get the sense that it's gotten better. I mean, from watching, from talking to people like Eric Langenhagen, who you'd probably be talking to about this start if you hadn't talked to him recently. But yes, that is is literally
0: the thought process (laughs) I had when I was booking the show. So
3: (laughs) It's too soon to get Eric back. Let's let's bring Ben in here to listen to me talk about college baseball. Yeah. So I talked to Eric on a podcast last week and he was talking about how it seems like the pitch count abuses have been a little bit farther and fewer were between. And I know that Gerald Schiffman has done some really excellent research for baseball prospectus and the hardball times looking at college pitch counts and not just raw pitch counts, but recovery times and how long you go between starts. And I think when he first wrote about that in 2016, it was more egregious than when he just recently wrote yes, about it absolutely. with his latest draft class. So I think just the the public pressure and shaming and, you know, maybe just greater awareness and a sense of responsibility have led to some improvements. But it's always a difficult situation because the coach is supposed to be the adult in the room who is reining in the kid who, of course, wants to keep pitching in Mm -hmm. a big game. And yet there are these conflicting incentives where the adult in the room wants to win also and also wants to preserve his job and is not always perhaps thinking of the kid's well-being as much as he should. And and then there are cases, of course, where that is actually the biggest moment of the kid's baseball career. Even if an injury doesn't happen, not everyone pans out as a prospect. And some guys aren't prospects. They're just pitching in a big spot in college. And you don't want to take that memory away from them either. So it's trick.
0: Yeah, and I mean, this will, if what we saw on Saturday is any indication, this will not be the biggest moment of Kumar Rocker's career.
3: No, I Um, don't think so. Something would have to go horribly wrong.
0: Yeah, and the other thing is, like, this obviously, you don't strike out 19 in a no-hitter without it looking easy. Um, Mm -hmm. And these college pitchers, particularly in the super regional round, um, this was not the most troubling pitcher usage that I saw last weekend. I will say that. he's going on seven days rest or not seven days, six days rest uh, on either side uh, of this outing. So it's not entirely analogous. I would have liked to see Tim Corbin pull him after the seventh or eighth inning. I was a little bit surprised he didn't, but Mm -hmm. you know what, what you said about athletes, particularly young athletes are taught and conditioned to want the ball in big moments.
3: Right. Um, And And scouts want to see that. Scouts want to see that. Yeah. And you don't want to see the kid want to give up the ball because he wants to preserve himself because you want the bulldog mentality and all of that.
0: Yeah. And so you understand the, the coach's incentive to particularly a college coach who's only going to have this guy for three years. Right. Um, You know, I, I like to think that coaches have have gotten a little have gotten better about that. I will say, like this has turned into a tool. The reason the that Vanderbilt gets guys like Rocker is because they have a reputation for um, for developing and protecting young arms. That's why, like mm. if you if you see a, a pitcher, um, a highly drafted pitcher uh, fail to sign, or a highly touted pitcher, you know Jack Leiter is a guy in this draft class. He's going to Vanderbilt too. They go to Vanderbilt. They go to Florida. Um, they go to, to schools with a reputation for taking care of guys arms, but I mean this is it's it's not unique to college base, uh, baseball because we saw this in the nBA then um, there's a basketball player named Kevin Durant um, who, <laughs> who came back from, <laughs> <laughs> he came back from uh, from injury, maybe rushed it a little bit and may have, and uh suffered a, a more serious injury in last night 's game so this is uh something that yeah, It's just an interesting balance you have to strike because the incentives are conflicting. Yeah, well, I'm learning a lot on this
3: segment. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: Um, and look, we talked about, I honestly intended to talk about Rocker for like, 90 seconds and we we talked about him for yeah, like 6 I minutes just kept so
3: yes ending you I yep. was going along with it but I look forward to young kumar's career I will be watching it with well, great interest
0: Well we will see how he does when he reaches the pros and gets to this uh uh home run happy environment in which uh, That's pretty good right I Not bad Yeah um the Phillies and Diamondbacks uh Combined for 13 home runs last night. I, like an idiot, picked up Jared Eikhoff for my fantasy team thinking, <laughs> well, the Diamondbacks are okay, and, and Eikhoff's pitched well on and off this season. He gave up five home runs, uh, <laughs> and the other pitchers in that game gave up eight more. So uh, this is an MLB record, and uh, yep. you find this interesting. I mean, yeah, this obviously, is... it's interesting. It's not something like only you find interesting. But
3: <laughs> well, the fact that it's a record is actually something I don't find interesting because we're getting home run records every day. It seems like there's some it's headline. A very
0: Ben Lindbergh take.
3: Well, I'm, of course, fascinated by just league-wide changes, and I'm curious about the home run rate, but I almost feel like it's gotten to the point where it really has sort of sapped some of the specialness from this type of achievement. I mean, I'm typically not someone who really points out the flaws or or dwells on the changes in baseball. I mean, I'm interested in observing them, but generally speaking, I kind of take baseball as it comes, and I like 80s looking baseball and I like 90s looking baseball and I like 2000 looking baseball. I like them all. They're all pretty good. But I think even for me, maybe we're getting to the point now where the home run rate is too damn high. And I think that I'm glad that baseball is constantly changing in this way because I often think, well, if we could just figure out what the best version of baseball is, the most pleasing version to the most people, and just peg it that way so it was always that quote-unquote best version of baseball – Would I actually want that or would I want suboptimal baseball that changes from year to year? And I think I would want the change because I really like following how it changes. But at this point, we are currently on pace for 6,554 home runs. That would be 449 more than the record that was set in 2017. And that on pace for once may actually be underestimating the real pace because that is just extrapolating the full season home run rate. And of course, the weather's warming up and the home run rate just keeps climbing. So in 2017, the year when the most homers were hit ever, 3.3% of all plate appearances that season ended in home runs. This April, it was 3.4%. In May, 3.6%. In June, we're up to 3.7% right now, and there's just no telling how high it can go. So clearly, the ball is juiced or aerodynamic or whatever you want to call it, and you also have hitters raising their launch angles and having the lowest ground ball rate ever to take advantage of that. And so it seems like night after night, there's some headline. You know, the Nationals went back to back to back to back, or two teams combined for 13 homers, or so-and-so is on pace to break a franchise record or did break a franchise record. And... Maybe it's too much or maybe I'm just sick of the headlines because every time I read one, I think, well, you know why, right? <laughs> what people always say about like Barry Bonds' home run totals mm-hmm. or something. This time it's the ball. Maybe that time it was the ball too. But at this point, it's just the same sort of story every day.
0: Yeah, we'd be remiss uh, if we were talking about the juice ball without um, sending our thoughts and prayers to Mitch Hanager, uh, as he recovers <laughs> from his own injury.
2: Oh, too soon. Yeah. Um, <sighs>
0: That one I planned in advance, um, <laughs> and I've completely lost. I was I was so amped Distracted up for, by for how the, could, for the Mitch how your joke joke. Was. <laughs> it was a good joke. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, I could just say that I've also been following the AAA home run rates in the International League and the PCL because this is the first year that those leagues are using the same ball as the big league ball and things are kind of out of control there too. So in April there was a, a game in Rochester where the two teams combined for 15 home runs. That was 10 innings in fairness, but still that was kind still of crazy. That's a lot. Yeah. Yes it is. And it's funny because we wondered at first, like when this first started happening in the middle of 2015, there were all sorts of theories about what was happening and was it the ball or was it one of any number of other factors? And now there's just no doubt anymore because you can look at the home run rates in the big leagues, but also in AAA. And obviously, things didn't dramatically change in the player pool between last year and this year. All that changed was the ball. And you can even look at this year's double A home run rate where the ball did not change and it's basically flat. So we now know that it's either primarily or entirely the ball. And so, what we're seeing is sort of artificial in that sense. And I still like homers, and I think most people like homers. So, maybe it's not a bad thing. And it's a good thing in the sense that the strikeout rate is so high that the home runs are the only thing propping up scoring mm-hmm. and keeping us out of the dead ball era. But yeah, it's just every time I see a headline, I see that Ian Desmond just hit a 486 foot home run, and Francisco Mejia just hit one that was supposedly 507 feet in AAA. And every time I I see it. It's like, oh, that was kind of cool, but it's the ball. And that almost undermines my enjoyment of all of this so that I'm just thinking, am I looking forward to the Home Run Derby because the ball is just going to fly so far? Or am I not looking forward to it because I'm seeing so many homers that it is that we hardly need a dedicated event for that.
0: Oh, well, that's at odds with what Zach and I were saying earlier in the show. We are very much looking forward to the Home Run Derby, um, which I guess it's a good thing it's timed now because the way the, the <laughs> ball is flying out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, what I'll, I'll say is what I say every time we talk about this, home runs or strikeouts, the field is too small. Mm. Baseball was designed for smaller people than play the game today. Yes, Because uh, Aaron Judge is 14 inches taller than Hack Wilson. You Kamar know, <laughs> yeah. Rocker is four inches taller than Christy Mathewson and throws probably 15 miles an hour harder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, did they invented the change up in 1905? I don't even know. Um,
3: <laughs> yeah, baseball players have sort of outgrown the sport. It's yep. true. <laughs> They're so, getting too good and too big. Move the fences
0: back, move the mound back, the whole thing. Yeah, or,
3: you know, don't even just deaden the ball. Deaden the baseball. <laughs> deaden the ball, shrink the strike zone. Again, it's it's not that you'd have to do anything that drastic to change things back if we decide that we want to change things back. It's just that in baseball, every change is considered drastic and radical, even if it's something that has some precedent in baseball history. And even though you can look back to the beginning of baseball history and see that they were constantly changing things year after year to figure out what baseball should look like. And then they arrived at a version of the game that worked pretty well for a century or so with some tweaks here or there and Now we just haven't changed anything significant except for replay and player safety rules, which are important, but in terms of just on the field stylistic sort of play, I mean, we're going on two, three decades now without any adjustment and basketball and football are are constantly tweaking things. And, you know, in football's case, it's it's often because of brain injuries. And and, (laughs) so we don't have that problem quite as much, which is nice in baseball, but still, I, I don't think we should just consider everything sacred and immutable now and this is another like weird baseball
0: mentality thing just because the sport's so old every so often we it was almost like the u.s constitution as i get into <laughs> yeah. another weird segue that bobby is suddenly perking <laughs> up and saying am i gonna have to cut this too but like it was it was designed uh to be to change to evolve as the the needs of the population it served uh, changed, and eventually yeah. it just got so old that it became a sacred document. That yeah. Uh,
3: Yeah. Yeah, And baseball is the 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 rules of baseball outcomes must be watered from time to time with the blood of dingers or something. I don't know, but we need to change things if we want to keep things the same, at least in some respects. It's funny because in baseball, there's this perception that people hate it when things change because records get broken. And that was the whole thing with the PED era, the steroid era, whatever you want to call it, is that people were upset because these guys who were juicing were breaking Mickey Mantle's sacred records and Babe Ruth's records and all of these things. And that's kind of interesting because there doesn't seem to be quite as much outrage now. Maybe that's because the steroid era sort of broke the seal and we figure, well, nothing's sacred anymore anyway. So I we think might that's, as well probably, that's just, probably
0: true. Yeah, yeah, that
3: could be it. But you would think that more people would be saying this is making a mockery of those old records and it's different conditions, even though baseball is constantly changing. And you always have to take that context into account. But this is extreme, even by baseball standards.
0: It's also not individual records that are getting broken, at least true. on the hitter's side. Like, no, you know, if, if Aaron Judge hits 7 78 home runs this year, then, you know, well, he won't do it this year, but if, if Aaron judge hits 78 home runs next year, uh, then maybe we talk about this, but yeah. you know, you don't notice, this is the sort of thing that, you know, you mentioned, uh, a 3.3% home run rate versus a like 3.7% home yeah. run rate, it sounds like which nothing. is, it, it, it is nothing on the, <laughs> like on a game to game level, as you are watching the sport, unless something like the extra innings of game two of the 2017 World Series happens or that that Nationals four homers in a row thing or the Phillies Diamondbacks game, which I realize I mentioned you know several anecdotes that are notable from the recent past, but you know you go to the ballpark on a Wednesday night, it the game doesn't look that different. It's only when you zoom out and look at the look at the macro level changes on a, a league-wide basis right. that you realize how much everything is changing.
3: Yeah, as long as you're not at that time in peck's Philly's 13 right. home run game. But I mean it's in this
0: respect it's much like climate change that like yeah. you don't notice that the world is 1 degree hotter until it, but you know if the world gets 5 degrees hotter then you know New York City's underwater. Right? So
3: yeah, and I'm right by the river, so you'll need a new podcast co-host. But yeah, I mean, I think that's that's a problem, and it's something that I think you're right to point out about the individual versus team records, because the individual records are really the ones that we know and yes. that we care about. So last year, the Yankees broke the single-season home run record. It looks like the Twins may yeah. very well break it again. I forgot
0: the Yankees did that, by the <laughs> yeah, way. Yeah, like, the Orioles it's...
3: are going to break the home runs allowed record if they haven't already. <laughs> I haven't checked to see where they are lately, but no one really cares about that stuff we don't know what the number was before so who cares if it's a new number now but you're right if we do start seeing 70 homer seasons again then maybe people will perk up
0: all right well this has been you were worried you were going to be bored when i <laughs> i came in here talking about vanderbilt duke yeah. um
3: and you always surprised me i'm yeah, always yeah. entertained
0: well yeah you've you know I, you just come into these conversations with a like a cloud of of skepticism, and then <laughs> by the end you're having a great time. So. Yeah. All right. <laughs> We're going to do this again next week. Obviously. Uh, until then, uh, thanks for coming on. All right. Talk to you then. That'll do it for this week's edition of the Ringer MLB Show. Thanks, as always, to Zach and Ben for joining me. Thanks to Bobby Wagner for producing today's episode. Uh, thanks to my special guest, Emma Bachelary. You can find her work at Sports Illustrated. You can follow her on Twitter at Emma Bachelary. That's E-M-M-A-B-A-C-C-E-L-L-I-E-R-I. Uh, thanks to Brian LaHare, Max Muncie, and Kumar Rocker for giving us stuff to talk about. And thank you for listening. Enjoy the week's action, and we'll see you next time. Navy Federal is proud to serve more than 8 million members and is open to active duty military, the DoD, veterans, and their family members. Receive a lifetime of membership benefits like a credit card APR average that's 4% lower than the industry's member-only exclusive rates and more. Visit NavyFederal.org for more information. Call 1-888-842-6328 or download the Navy Federal Credit Union app today. Message and data rates may apply. Visit NavyFederal.org for more information.